I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If I leapt from side to side, in the back of this California. It had a massive <laughs> effect on handling. <laughs> no shit. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Collecting Addicts podcast. We have a full house in attendance and much to discuss, starting with what I've been up to uh, over the last week, which is the Isle of Man TT. I'm going to allow my cohorts to, to chime in here, but I'm I'm on the back end of one of those life experiences that I want to keep telling people about. And I'm a natural gobshite, so I can't stop telling people. I just told a total stranger out on my road how great the TT was. And they thought I was talking about table tennis, which was odd. (laughs) Um, So I I have to say, I've had the most fantastic trip. Put your hands up within the group if you've been to the TT. Okay, Neil Clifford has, no one else has. Um, Let me tell you how it works. It's not a... um, it's not your average race weekend. I went for the week of qualifying. Imagine that Formula One's qualifying happens for an hour on a Saturday afternoon. This has an entire week of qualifying. Um, and I'm, I can't just speak as a monologue for too long because I, I, contrary to common opinion, I don't actually like the sound of my own voice. So I will have to get these people to chime in and do some fucking legwork. Otherwise, I'm going to find this a bit difficult. <laughs> um, so I went for the qualifying week. I'd never been before. It was a rite of passage. I booked a ferry in January because I'm so disorganised. I thought to myself, January the 4th, I'm gonna, if I don't book one of these bloody things now, they'll get sold out. So we booked our steam packet, um, which is a great service, but is quite expensive for a motorcycle. They're making good money. We paid, I had two bikes on a return, leaving on the most inconvenient times imaginable, and it was nearly £500. Wow. Think how many motorcycles you can get on a ferry. Neil Clifford, we need a ferry company as soon as possible. We do, we do, we do. I think I was the only car. I went in a Nissan R34. Yeah. What did you go in that for? I don't love Japanese know. Cars. I didn't even like the car, obviously. <laughs> Japanese. Is that like turning up? But that's I, like just, doing... I, I thought it was a cool sort of, you know, there's a Japanese vibe, isn't there? Because all the bikes are bloody Japanese, yes. basically. Yes. So I did. Yeah, I, I took an R34. 
with me. But it was, I mean, being stuck on a, you'll talk, Chris, much better than I, but being stuck on a mountain all day, because obviously I didn't know that you, when you parked up, they then closed the roads, so you're basically stuck if you're on a motorway, on a, on a, on a, on a mountain all day watching these absolute lunatics do things that you know probably shouldn't be legal anymore but thank god it is still legal because it's incredible it is it's a demonstration of skill bravery and a total lack of imagination that i i really can't celebrate enough um yes we want the steam packet i went with my friend james who's known as ti22 on instagram and is one of the loveliest human beings imaginable i think he's the nicest welshman ever he is. He's, he's uh, I think it's a special week for both of us. Uh, and we slightly didn't rough it. We roughed it a bit. We ate the most wonderful kipper cobs in the morning, went for our morning rides, went over the mountain at, at crazy speeds. I have to say, it's the best motorsport spectator thing I've ever done because I felt part of it. Uh, and I and I felt that the locals and, and these the fans were incredibly welcoming. I felt it got close to the competitors in a way I hadn't done before. And I think it's it made me understand what it must have been like to be in the Formula One paddock in the 1960s. These gladiators that take risks that I can't even comprehend. Um, yeah, it was, it was much more like a rock concert feeling for me. You know, when, you, the, when your favourite track comes on and the live music hits you in the chest, your solar plexus sort of reacts to it and then you have an emotional reaction. And if you're like me, you think, I mustn't cry. Don't fucking cry, because this is, is a bit totes emotion. I think I felt that when I saw McGuinness come past deliberately on the back wheel um, at uh, Ago's Leap, and we were, we were stood there, and I'd never seen them go past. And John McGuinness, who I was there with, who was just, as we know, one of the legends of life, um, he, um, he, I think his, his, his wonderful daughter, Maisie, who's 12 years old, who is the star of the McGuinness family by a mile, she just, she's got them all totally covered. He went past in the battle and she went, Dad did that on purpose because he knew you were there. And I, I just thought, I can't really understand how that <laughs> yeah, works. I, that. I wouldn't even know where I was. So that's a very brief eulogy. I'll probably chime in again in a minute. But I want to open the floor to, to other experiences we've had. They don't have to actually be motorsport related. Um, things that you've seen that are visceral, that uh, that make you think, that also make you... I think one of the things that summarises this is the sense, why didn't I see this before? And I'm so glad that I have, because if I hadn't, my life wouldn't be complete. Yeah. I'll open well, Chris, before you move it on, you, you've got to tell everyone about the WhatsApps that you sent us. There's nothing was sending us WhatsApps of people flying. They, they weren't actually driving any they were flying at 200 miles an hour past news agents and things there's yeah. a shot here I've got it here you're next to a bus shelter a guy with <laughs> it's just ridiculous he goes by doing a wheelie at 175 miles an hour and there's a lady who's just sort of leaning on on the brick wall just going oh there's another one there's a lovely of randomness around the circuit where Real life, real Manx life is just embedded in the, in the race, in the competition weekend, and well, sorry, fortnight. And there's there's a, there's a little place where you can go and the, the ladies of the WI give you clotted cream and scones whilst you're watching <laughs> Michael Dunlop come past on an average lap of 135 miles an hour. So I'm not a stato. The lap is 37.73 miles long currently. Um, 
Michael Dunlop broke the record on Friday when we yeah. were there, uh, and he set 135 mile lap. He, he he pushed the bar so much higher; it's 135 and a half. So that's like going three seconds faster in qualifying than everyone else. Um, it is. There are three aliens at the moment. There's Michael Dunlop, um, uh, Peter Hickman, and Dean Harrison. They are the three that are pushing harder. But my my buddy John McGuinness came sixth on Sunday, which I think is remarkable for a 51-year-old bloke who's kind of the elder statesman of the sport. All I can say is this, and I, I, I sounded glib when I was on the telly box for the TT people. I think if you, if you have any interest in racing or any interest in the internal combustion engine and any interest in people that just have demonstrate a skill that you can't fathom, you owe it to yourself to go. And you don't have to be some grizzled, gnarled biker that's got stories of going there for 50 years. It's open, it's accommodating. You can wobble along on your motorcycle, look really amateurish on the ferry like I did. No one's going to judge you. People will help you. If you drop your bike, five lads that look really scary in Hells Angels jackets will pick it up and give you a hug. You know, it's that kind of place. I just I, think I, you have to go. I'd need their numbers before I travel because you know how hopeless I am on anything with two wheels. <laughs> Uh, they they always just fall over and they're never where I left them. I've always I've always kind of avoided it. And in part I've avoided it because I've been just so scared for them. And you know, one doesn't want to tempt fate about this year's event. So I won't talk about what's ha what's happening and what might happen after we record and so forth. But I've always felt scared for them. But this year, I, I guess because somebody who I know and love and trust and respect, you know that's you Chris have been there and you've brought it to life for us in the, as Manny said all the whatsapps and social media a bit like the Nürburgring 24 the other week suddenly more so than I've ever noticed it's been brought to life by social media and it's extraordinary and I think it might not be here forever it's the every other form of motorsport has got safer and safer and safer for various reasons. The circuits have changed. The equipment has changed. For these guys, it's the same. They're just faster. You know, the trees are just as tree-like. The bus shelters are just as bus shelter-like. And they're still squidgy, fragile humans. Nothing's changed. It's just got more and more dangerous. And the fact that they're... I, I can't begin to comprehend how they do it. You know, Monkey, you know, you know, we've raced at the Nürburgring. That's a bloody fast place. The car can be airborne at 170 miles an hour. And every lap you do that, every lap you go down the foxhole at the Nürburgring at night, it's a big, hold your breath. It never gets normal. But that's walking in the park compared to these guys. I just, I'm totally in awe. And I had an emotional reaction to your emotional reaction, which was, we've got to do it. You know, I'd, I'd have to... I'd fall off a scooter a dozen times on the way there, but we've got to do it. It's just I think, I think you definitely, definitely have to do it. I think Chris is right. You, it's a, if you're into motorsport in any way, you have to go. I've got a funny little analogy, actually. It's nothing to do with motorsport. I was just thinking then, my three, I've got three older brothers, and we're from Portsmouth, so I'm, I'm, the, I'm the young one. I was, I, was, I was the last attempt at a girl <laughs> by, by my mother, probably hence the shoe thing. And um, all three of them went to the Isle of Wight Festival because we're from Portsmouth in 1970. 70, that's right. And, um, you know, one of them, I think, was only sort of 13 or something. But they went over to the Isle of Wight Festival to see Jimi Hendrix. I think it was in the August. 
and um, he died in the September. And they always talk about it like, thank fuck we went to the Isle of Wight Festival when it was going on. And I think it's a bit like the TT. We'll always regret yeah. if you don't go. Everyone yeah. should go because it's like seeing Jimi Hendrix. It's that important. Yeah. You know, I will say just this idea that um, things that are inherently dangerous are quietly being phased out of our lives. But there's something about this event, because it's not some mainstream BBC One or Sky One or NBC event, it, you know, it, it has a following of its own. And that in itself means it has a kind of purity. And, and it, it would be wonderful to experience it because it is the thing in itself. What you didn't say is that they're not flying meals out of Maxine in Paris. You said you eat kippers. You know, you went on a ferry with your bike. I mean, it just doesn't get to get more. No, it's beautiful. It's like going back yeah. in time a little bit, really. There isn't, no, really, and there isn't really, the, there is no option to go full corporate. You <laughs> might get invited by a bike manufacturer, but there's there's no infrastructure to treat people like AAA listers because they're not interested in it. You don't acknowledge, everyone there falls under the heading of your shit smells the same. Sadly, it's a crude phrase, <laughs> but you do. And uh, I think it's all the better for it. There's yeah. there's also an aspect to it that I'm going back. Uh, I'm going back on on the weekend, which so just after this is broadcast, because I want to watch the senior on Saturday. Ooh. I might have got the bug slightly, but I just think that now is the time. And I think when I watch them go out before their qualifying session on Thursday, there was a moment of calm. So there was the, there was the hustle and bustle of a race paddock of getting machinery prepared of operators of that machinery, getting themselves prepared, looking at their equipment, going through their ticks and their routines. There was that. But the last 90 seconds before they went out was different. There was a difference. They was, there was, the, 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 the stairs went further than a thousand yards. Uh, they didn't talk to each other really. There was, there was, there was, they're not combative. They don't want to not be next to each other, but they don't really talk. And I'm, I'm led to believe that the atmosphere before they go out to the senior is is even more um, reverential. I, th I think there's a there's an electricity to the atmosphere that I've never felt before at a racing event, uh, and and a, and a knowledge and an acceptance of what those what those riders are about to go through, the risks yeah. they're about to take by everyone around them. So uh, yeah, I'm starting. I'm making it sound a bit too much, like quasi. Um, no. religious experience you, you, but no, really, you know, it's the closest guys, I've come to religion in the probably in the last 30 years of my life you, I just thought you it was just awesome. used the key word you've used the word religion have you have you read um the right stuff or seen the um yeah. seen the movie seen the yeah. it's I've read that the book, read the book. I went and watched the movie again it was crap oh no no it's it, oh, no 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 it's, it's not as crap as you, it, there's a beautiful moment when you actually see the bar in this absolute shithole that they go and have a drink at and there's a description of the astronauts, and they describe them as monastic. Yeah. And I just think it's weird. It's like a little monastery up there. There's nothing there except speed. They go to that mountain. They sit there. It's arid. They maybe have a beer after they've broken the sound barrier. It's, it's, most, it's the most beautiful description. And then there's a, do you remember the simple vision? The Bell X1, and there's a horse. And Jaeger's sitting on the horse looking down at this. And that's what you're describing. It's so pure it's so beautiful it's such a sort of you know this is it this is what i was put on earth to do and this could be the last time i do it just there's, that um, moment there's also something um to continue the non-commercial theme 
they don't get paid enough. I don't understand the risk they take for the remuneration they have. So they're always hustling. And the hustle brings with it so many fun stories. And McGuinness is, McGuinness is, is selling anything he can. He's, he's a legend, but he's, if he walks into the paddock, he'll sell your book, he'll do anything. We went out for a meal on Friday night. He arrived with 20 bottles of gin to put behind <laughs> the bar to sell. I mean, it's, I just love it. You know, does yeah. he, does, you know, I just think there's something honest about it. And, and what's, what's interesting is the way they view other sports and other motorsports. There's a respect. They don't just assume that because everyone else takes less risk than them, that they're not worthy. That would be too, too simplistic. And these are clever men. Don't think they're blunt instruments. They may come across as that. It's all a, that's all an act. They're very, very intelligent people. They respect it, but I think they don't. They can't see what the fuss is about. Sometimes <laughs> they they think everyone's going. Oh, you should have seen how difficult this was for me. And they're thinking, hang on a minute. I was yeah. I was about to lose control at 190 next to a bus stop. So that, there is a respect. They don't. They don't dismiss everything else. But there, I think there's this. Maybe part of the currency they have, the remuneration they have, is an emotional one. In that they know they're the only people on the planet that can sit there and maybe be a bit sniffy about other motorsports. They can say, "You might think you're hard, but you're not." No, you can't so, move. Um, you can't move your head quick enough when you're stood on the side of the road. You can't actually do that. Yeah. Quick enough to see the bloody thing. Yeah. It's the most mental thing, isn't it? And it's do funny you, how you, do can... you follow are you following the race on um on your phone or something so you know who's coming when? Yeah, you have a it's it's strange. It's it, you need someone with you to teach you how to do it. You look at split times. So there's a live timing app. No, sorry, it's on the website. You just look at the, the sector times. There are I think four or five sectors, and you just look at the sector times as they come through, it gives you an order. And it just get in, as in F1, it gives you a green or a purple. If someone's gone quickest of the session, it's green. If they go quicker they've ever been, it goes purple. But really, you're you need to get to Marshall Post. And if you stand near a Marshall, they get they get a note from the previous Marshall Post telling you who's coming through. Wow. Um, so you, but there is no live feed as such if you're out and about. But you can go back to the fan village and watch the live feed on the fan village there. It's just, honestly, it's and, it's and, so and practically good. speaking. So Neil said he got stuck on a hill all day. You know, mm. if you're on a bike, is there other ways of moving around whilst the racing's going on? Yeah, there is. I mean, the sessions don't last long enough for you to be able to move more than once, really. But what you would do is you can you can go south of the circuit, go up around the side of where Peel is, and there's you know Kirk. Mike, we went to Kirk Michael an hour and a half into a session and got there. It's it's slow moving. And, and, you know, you shouldn't go there on a bike to think you can hoon the whole time. There are speed guns out everywhere, quite rightly. But, so you, you can move. And, and within reason, there's not many bad places to watch the action. You don't want to be somewhere slow or a hairpin, really. And that funny little jump thing, I, I wouldn't want to watch it there, really. But everywhere else, you know, if they're averaging 135 miles an hour, the clue's in the number. You're going to see them <laughs> tanking along. Yeah. yeah. And it's, in, it's interesting how... The, the forms of motorsport that you and I and everybody's familiar with, F1 or whatever, there's a lap time. US motorsport, largely because it's kind of going around in circles, they'll have a Indies classic of speed. But this one, you think, why have they got a speed? And then you see the speed and you think that's why they use speed, because the numbers are unbelievable. Yeah. And it I mean, it's like the target it Florio still exists, isn't it? Yeah. And still yeah, got guys bombing week. around in 917s or 910s or whatever. Yeah. 
that that that's the equivalent for that's 50 years ago whatever it is now since yeah did that and 73 yeah I want to ask chris cooper a question here because in your official role on the most sport uk i think the isle of man tt even though we want to admit it has a, a big influence on how we respond to track limits and what is the circuit yeah. and what risk you should take. Because there's no doubt to any of us that if the Isle of Man existed or the Isle of Man circuit admitted, uh, existed in the same layout, but in the middle of the Sahara Desert with, with, multi, with as much runoff as possible, the average speed would probably be 150 miles an hour. But, but the riders are managing their environment. They have to. They're a play, and the reason why Michael Dunlop beyond his extraordinary talent and, and size of gonads is going faster is he's he's pushing it a bit further than the others that's what he's doing yeah um so how do we f is, is the other man not testament to the fact that we we do we don't need a risk as high as that but there needs there needs to be a consequence jeopardy doesn't there there needs to be jeopardy and i think interesting enough i'm at i'm at motorsport eight uh, uk hq today we had a board meeting today and we talked about track limits today and not surprisingly everybody talked about the TT and I was quite not just because we've been talking about it all week and I was quite taken with how many people here look at it and just say that's I, I just how do they do it and there is part of the debate which is about the jeopardy and we talked about I think we've talked about amongst ourselves those of you who have looked at the, the physical changes that have taken place at Spa uh, Grand Prix circuit particularly at Eau Rouge, where they've literally pushed the hill back on the, as you're going up the hill on the left, that old house has gone, the hill's gone back, big grandstand. And it's effectively created a track that's 300 metres wide. So rather than going down past the old pits and a sort of a quite an interesting right turn in the dip, this sort of, it's a little bit of a turn and someone's just going straight up the hill. And that can't be right. And I think it's, it's changing the nature of the sport for, for track sport, motorsport, four-wheel sport. Um, and one of the, Niels Vittich, I think, uh, was it De Freitas, who was the WEC a race director, one of the two who is the, briefly the two F1 race directors. He made his comment in a briefing a, few, uh, a year or two ago to say, if you, I want you to imagine there's a wall around the track, like at Monaco or like at the TT. If you go over that, I'm going to assume you've hit the wall and I'm going to call you in because we want to check your car for damage. <laughs> <laughs> and that check may take some time and i thought that's all i want to hear is just say yeah. come on guys so i think culturally behaviorally i think watching that watching the tt and the respect for there's some status or somewhere for how close people got to the exit of sandivot turn one at monaco and george got closest about four or five centimeters and but he didn't touch it but and we talked before they can still get away with touching it. You can't, you couldn't touch a bus shelter or a telegraph <laughs> pole. So I th I think uh, the debate today was really interesting and there's going to be more, most of what UK is going to say in public with our sport in the coming months about what we want to, how we want to bring everyone together on track limits and the safety and all that I'm going to say. But watching some of those clips, I think will be helpful for everyone. It's extraordinary. I'll also want to add a couple more things. First of all, Couple of riders to look out for. Um, uh, uh, Davy uh, Todd is just fantastic. He's young. He's an absolute. He's backing it in everywhere. You have to watch him. It's just extraordinary to watch. James Hiller as well. Um, he 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 came round to say hello a couple of points during the week. He's just a another really interesting human being. 
shout out to them. If you go there, you must go to Peel to this place on the seafront where they do a kipper cob. You've got to eat that. It's it's really joyous. Vinegar um, on there. Sorry. Vinegar. I, I went for I went for a bit of vinegar and a bit of salt. Actually, I didn't know. Here's a question for you all: What salt would you put on a kipper? I know I'd go for horseradish. I'd also go potentially for Liam Perrins, but there wasn't any. I might put oh. a bit of Worcester sauce on there. Any other any other chimes in on the sauce there? Doused in Tabasco. vinegar. Tabasco. Yeah, oh, Tabasco would work. Tabasco would work. I yeah. think it's horseradish. Is it? Yeah, okay, horseradish, fair enough. But, um, yeah. Right. So, there's still no speed limits. Can you take your car to the Isle of Man and drive really fast and not get done? I'm asking, for, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> yes, I think I think at certain times of the year when you go over the mountain road, they will they will leave you alone. But if you go too fast, you might get done for dangerous or due care and attention. Yeah. That's my interpretation. There yeah. are speed limits on the island. There are very much speed limits during the TT weekend. And the, the first serious incident that happened this week, obviously, was nothing to do with the race weekend at all. It was uh, it was punters on the roads. The mountain on a bike, if you're like me, and you've got a, a vaguely naked bike, and you're doing 130 miles an hour across a moor which is like a sort of wide b road it's not it doesn't feel like an a road and your lid's lifting off and every, and a couple of people are coming past you and you, you, it's two lanes in one direction it does feel quite grown up and I, and I will say the bit i found confusing was in amongst all the bikes there was a white audi rs3 that got in amongst it and and i just think they're oil and water i don't think cars and bikes mix in that environment <laughs> no. when he arrived I, I when he arrived i went and i'm out you Did I see a picture of a, a green Porsche Taycan that rolled or something like that? Was that on the Isle of Man? Could have been. I don't know. I didn't see yeah. it. I saw. Right. I saw. I saw a Hayabusa that was in a bad, bad way. I didn't. Yeah. I don't know what, what its operator was like. It's you know th th these things are there are consequences to riding bikes. I know that, but I I, I also feel quite strongly that the, the bike and the car community probably spend a bit too much time bitching about each other. You know, bikers think that we're all a bit. Car drivers are all a bit soft and shandy drinking and we all think they're a bit northern and brainless but you know they're, they're two communities with an awful lot in common and yep. we should be able to celebrate each other's yep. sports totally and totally. I, as, as a sort of de facto representative of the car community i was really heartened by how kind and welcoming the, the bike brilliant. community was brilliant so uh, it was um it was honestly magical please please next year go get on the steam packet waste some money eat kippers don't go to bed too late. That's the other thing. It doesn't feel like the more. It's not full of people getting absolutely out of control till five in the morning. There's some of that going on in town. But most people just have a few beers. And I think they're so traumatised by what they're seeing. <laughs> they're in bed by 11.30 and up in the morning. Yeah. So there you go. That's my call to action. I'm not on a percentage from the official Isle of Man TT account, but I bloody well should be. Now, <laughs> we're going to move on to... Now, this is out of the frying pan uh, and into the fire. Uh, camper vans. Um, there were a lot of camper vans in, uh, in the Isle of Man because the race paddock is somewhere where I think many people imagine they would use their camper van if they bought one. But I know there's a man here who's uh, one of our two respectable members who has got Many stories tell about camper vans, and he want, he's itching because he researched camper vans for last week, but never got to talk about them. Neil Clifford, tell us about camper vans. I love a camper van, <laughs> and I think I don't really like people that don't like camper vans. I lived in one for six months, as you know. I've, I've said that before in Australia, but I think 
What do I think about them? Um, it's about escape, isn't it? It's about freedom. It's about getting away from work and Wi-Fi and meetings and fucking hot houses. I mean, we all love our partners, but houses are always too hot, aren't they, for men? And you're opening the window and she's closing the window and then the heat, you want the heating off and you can escape all that and you can sleep outdoors with the with the stars and the birds and the peace and quiet. And I think it's just, I don't know, it's a bit caveman. It's a bit escapism. I, I've got a good friend who's gave me great advice once. I don't do it, but maybe I'll do it at one end of the, of the day. Get up with the birds and go to bed with the birds. And I think it's a beautiful bit of advice. And this is clearly a very smart man, as is for TR7s. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's gotta be, got be correct. One of today's great thinkers. And, and the, other, the other thing I'd add on campus, two things actually. One is obviously nature. You can see the world because you're driving very slowly. You can park up in the west coast of Wales or Scotland or the Peak District or Exmoor or Norfolk and see those wonderful sunsets. But you can also, the simplicity of your little Balletti coffee machine and your single little hob gas cooker and your sausage sandwich. And life, life is a simpler life. And I think often we all, we all hanker after that, don't we? The other bit I'd add is gadgets. The one thing about <laughs> camper vans is one can really express our sort of male love of gadgets. Yep. Lamps, charging lamps, knives, coffee machines. mobile speakers, three or four mobile speakers. There's a great company called Snow Peak. Please have a look on their website. It's distortion expensive. You know, coffee cups are made of titanium and they're like 90. Oh, I've got some of these. They're Snow fantastic. Snow yes. Peak. It is just. Yeah. I've got fantastic. a knife and fork of theirs. Yeah, I think it's as much as a Rolex. There's what there's, yeah there's a, there's a shop on the Lower Regent Street, but it's Japanese, and you know the Japanese are the most nutty, beautiful people of the world, aren't Snow they? Peak. They all go camping, and there's magazines of you know where they all go camping in these sort of thousand pound titanium cups. The chairs, you can have numerous vehicles of charging. We've all got that sort of charging insecurity, haven't we? So you've got yep. all your chargers out, and you're charging your chargers. Yep. And and you're basically you're just you're just away from all the shit that sometimes we all <laughs> are too deeply stuck in. So I think simple life, seeing nature, and playing with gadgets. I mean, what can be not better for a man than that? So just a, a camper van is different to that beautiful German motorhome, which has the floor that lowers, and a GT2 RS comes. That's all a bit. That's a bit wanky. All of that. <laughs> I've done the Heimer. You know, I did the sort of 35, 40 grand Heimer. My bless her. My wife went in it once. She's like, I'm not going that again. Um, can we just get a hotel, please? It's like a two percent of the cost. Um, there's, there's quite a big movement in America now where people are buying these converted vans and living in them full time. Yeah. They're they're, they're amazing. Great. It's getting off grid. I think, you know, yeah. it's a big trend anyway, isn't it? You know, we all want our houses that are off grid and, you know, whatever. But I think I think it's the, the sense of freedom. I did actually buy, there's a big story, which I can't really share on here, but it's funny. I did actually buy the most magnificent, Ed will know, camper van off collecting cars. And it's a converted Defender that had been around Africa, the most fantastic thing. And I'm desperate... 
my poor bloody son, he's dyslexic like me, is doing his GCSEs at the moment. The minute he's finished, we're off. And we're going to that place that Chris referred to that I've got on my map in that lovely little beach in the west of Wales. And we're going to cook sausages. Yeah, perfect. And actually, you wouldn't want to... It wouldn't be the same if you went there in a really fancy sports car. No, you've been up in a GT3 touring there. And that's no. the thing. You look a tip. You can have a fridge. You can have a cooker. Oh, I've got all of it. Cook stuff. Yeah. You can just... And that well, sort of that sense of independence of... I'm sure lots of laws that you can't get up from your seat and go and make a cup of tea when you're going down the M4 or whatever it is. But that sense of independence and gadget... Well, a cup of tea, have a cup of tea going down the motorway. And there's, you can also drive them like talking about TT, like sidecars. Do you remember, Monkey, you and I, you had a VW Caravelle camper van. Uh, in California, it wasn't mine. California. Volkswagen. I couldn't afford one at the time. I barely can now. They're not cheap. It was the one you borrowed. The California. And we discovered. And not only would it do 130 kilometers an hour down one of those big dips in the motorway back 130 from, miles an hour boss 130 <laughs> miles an hour on the way back past spa um on that beautiful smooth but sort of sweepy road back through kelberg and gerolstein from the ring if because you were driving if i leapt from side <laughs> to side in the back of this california it had a massive <laughs> effect on handling and then no on, those big, on those big dips on the motorway, if I ran four to aft, it made a massive difference to pitching. What could we go wrong? Did... Do you remember being? Do you remember being ten minutes into a Euro tunnel when you went? You know when you said, "Is there any LPG on board?" I don't think you told the truth. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, I do remember that. And we did. I just forgot it had a gas can in it. And we mentioned it before, our, our mutual friend, Guy Spur of the coffee roasting business. He and I took a camper van to the 2006 Young Timer Race, which is an amazing German festival of all things wonderful 60s, 70s, 80s touring cars. Because Guy used to own that original E30 DTM car, the first one that won the DTM championship, the Eric van der Poel car, Zaxby. And he bought it for something like 30,000 euros. And we raced it in the Young Timer Race. We went there in a on the way back, because the car broke, we are a bit frustrated we left early on the Friday night before the 24 hours. And we did Belgium flat. Didn't lift the throttle throughout Belgium. It's not saying <laughs> much, because that was sort of between 65 and 75. But in a camper van, 75 miles an hour feels like too much. So I just think they're so cool. And in a way that caravans just sort of aren't. It's just the whole thing's coming with you. It's just... I think they're so cool. I love mm. it. And I'm I think of... uh, for me, the camper van, uh, when it works, it's 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 the greatest human invention. When it doesn't work or when the environment's wrong, they really are a bit it's of an albatross around your neck. <laughs> so the UK for me is a bit small for camper van culture. I think we found out during the lockdown that a few too many people bought them. And the romance of turning up to your spot, your secluded spot, and finding they're already 32. Uh, stockbrokers with their families in in that particular lay-by probably shatters the illusion at which point the hotel might seem quite attractive <laughs> america of course is the home of the rv um and their rv culture is is just superb yeah, I mean, uh, never be yeah. sniffy the the infrastructure is sensational you turn up everything's clean you can get power you can get water you can you can pretty much travel day in day out and not see another human being the appeal must be it must be so great but the country is vast 
and that's yeah. why they can do it. I was I was looking up some um, some RVs. I, I so nearly have bought an RV so many times I've never owned one. But one of the quirks of American RV classes, I love this. This this is the equivalent of irregular verbs in English and the rules of cricket. The class A, yeah, is the biggest of all the um, of all the uh, RVs over there. The class B is the smallest, yeah, and the class C sits in the middle. <laughs> How does that work? Go figure. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I was really, so if you want a, a C class, it's bigger than a B, but the A is the biggest of the lot. An A, by the way, is one of the big coaches, like a coach, basically, it's yeah. full coach built. Um, and a B is, is is a minivan. It could be anything from a from a caravel to someone just converted a little van. And the C are the ones that I love. They're the ones that are sort of Lexington make them, and they can have a double slide out. But ultimately, they're best. They quite often on an F four fifty chassis. Uh, and they're just sensational. You sleep over the cockpit where you the drive. The one with a bit over the cap, yeah. Yeah. Those campsites in America, I once bought a car in San Francisco and drove for four months around all of the national parks, staying in, it was a, like a, a Kojak sort of Ford Taurus thing. But you stop in all those camp, campsites in all of Bryce National Park, Arches, Yellowstone, you know, whatever, you can, it's just wonderful that there's little cafes that you can do your washing, you can have a shower, you've got beautiful nature. This really set up there to do like a, you could go around America for a year. Well, people yeah. in their retirement do it ad infinitum, exactly. don't they? Yeah. It also, on, on, without wanting to, to try and be profound, it's very easy to complain or, or view our American neighbours as being a bit myopic and they don't understand the outside world. Once you travel around America in a camper van, they don't need to leave. Yeah, there is just no need world. to leave because they've got everything on their doorstep. Yeah, yeah. you can't, you can't accuse them of not being curious because they can drive to Washington State Forest, which is so big, you can't get your head around it. Yeah. Now, I've, I've had multiple discussions with my very, very good friend, Mr. LeBlanc, who's insistent still that there's stuff in there that we don't know about, therefore it <laughs> could exist. He bases his entire philosophy of that on that. And I have to say, it's a difficult thing to argue against. When you see the yep. size of it, it's quite conceivable we possible. don't know what's in there. Yep. You know, 20-something 20, um, 20, 20 years ago, not quite a campervan story, but um, <clears throat> my son's godfather is a paediatric plastic surgeon in Oxford, Mark, and um, great guy. And he was at medical school with uh, a couple of guys. They're all, all of them are, are surgeons now, various surgeons around the country. Um, medical school, they were known as the goat men for various anatomical reasons that we don't need to get into. But uh, they decided <laughs> when they when they'd all done their kind of big surgical exams, they decided that they were going to drive from Bristol, Bristol um, to Cape Town. And they did it. And they got a long wheelbase Land Rover with the tent, you know, the ones yeah. with the tent on the top. Yeah, that's and I remember, I saw, it's just it was beautiful. So it was it was white, and they nicknamed it Nanny. And on the side, they had a kind of map of Africa with a goat on it, and said, "Go at Africa." <laughs> so the three of them got into this thing. It took them six months to go there. And it was a most incredible journey. And they, they did a wonderful diary. And um, one of them, for example, I don't think he's eaten a vegetable in his life. And uh, 
he, you know, a little cut on his uh, shin became a massive festering wound because he doesn't do any requisite, you know, vitamins. No matter how much sort of a carpy or wildebeest you eat, that's not going to heal. But the, the, the point and moral of the story is exactly that, that just in their early 30s, they just decide they know that they're going to be consultant surgeons for the rest of their lives. And they're going to basically have their four weeks holiday and four weeks study mm -hmm. leave. And they're going to have kids and they're going to have wives. And this is their last crack at just total freedom from a world which is going to be full of exams and full of patients. And I, it, it was amazing. I went, I went out to Cape Town to go and see Mark at the end of this journey. And he was working for free at, uh, there's a hospital called Grootskur. And um, some of the injuries, some of the violence, some of the stuff that you see there. And he, he gave me a call to, could you bring my camera to casualty? And I said, why? And he said, I just need to take a photo of this because I'm going to write this case up. And I, I thought someone was taking the mickey. There was a, they have a, they have a sort of cutlass there called a panga. And it, it's a cutlass and it's got two sort of prongs in it. And I thought somebody was standing by an x-ray machine holding one beside them because it was this panga stuck in this guy's skull. Oh. And um, <laughs> big knife. Exactly. With with the X-ray, with the X-ray from the other side, you realize it was actually in his skull. Now, remember, I mean, like, you know, dig digressing massively, but it, you know, it was a one trip in my entire life. I wish I had gone on. Mm. And that would have been just sort of a great six month adventure, four of us. Maybe I'd have made them eat vegetables, but um, it really, they came back completely different men, the three of them. You do. I was, it, I was, was a bit of a wanker different. before I went. <laughs> I can't. No, you, you, yeah, no, it makes you a better person traveling the world. I think it does. Yeah, yeah. You know, the more you see them, you know, I was, I, I wasn't really a wanker, but I was, I was, I'm nicer now. <laughs> I remember actually Edward, Edward and I went with his father, his parents to spa in, uh, in there. That was, a, it was a, wasn't, you know, it wasn't I've a got coach, that written down there. <laughs> but it was, um, it was, it was freaking hilarious i think yeah. there's a comedy to it as well i think when you see <laughs> when you see people that you've you've only seen them in one environment operating in a totally different environment you know if that person happens to be a groundsman or something it stands to reason they're going to have a camper van or, 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 a, or a caravan but if you see you know someone who's quite serious reputation professionally suddenly you know trying to work the tap on the on the <laughs> camper van or something's not working or they can't get the satellite tv to work it is very, very funny, I have to say. <laughs> right. It was highly amusing, wasn't it? We, I, I just remember, we, we were getting pissed. He was driving and we were all getting pissed in the back, <laughs> playing poker. <laughs> well, well he, he couldn't take us seriously at all. Um, and he was just, yeah. when you shut up, there's another bottle of rosé got cracked. <laughs> then, we, then we did the standard. You know, the old day, you get straight on the ferry, get up to Langen, to the brasserie. Oh, yeah. So you're going to have some chicken and a heavy cream sauce and drink another bottle of white. It was, it was, it was just, <laughs> they, they were cracking days. I'd love another California. I, I have to say, I naturally gravitate to the smaller ones. Yes. I want to be able to go anywhere. Really. Yes, that's and, true. And I think this, the width, there's a there's a height and weight restriction in the UK that means there aren't really any American RVs you can use outside of events. Um, yeah. But they are amazing. And, and we, this, we'll leave this here. However, 
we will also discuss the fifth wheel caravan at a later date because that is a great discovery of mine and i'll let you into a secret my last four family holidays my kids have been in fifth wheel caravans um because i am that much of a spiv i don't like going abroad for my holiday because i do too much flying for work and the fifth wheel caravan is a nugget of gold which leads me naturally on to our next subject <laughs> this is a roller coaster this week it really is i don't know who set this agenda it wasn't me how important is raw speed in the context i have to say of a sports car i don't think we can have raw speed in the context of a ford fiesta because i don't think anyone really gives a shit but i, I think this is this is posed by mr cooper and it's a really valid uh, area to discuss how much do we care about how fast cars actually are what's it about is it about how you feel is it about what you hear is it about steering? Is it about brakes? Is it about noise? Is it about your passenger? Is it about the music you're listening to? Is it about Neil Clifford's shoes? I don't know. What is it? Tell me, Chris Cooper, what you want to discuss here. So um, I think the premise of this question, and um, my boys, Finley Camry, were talking about what we want to talk about. And they both said, you've got to talk about this. And, and their view, and I think mine as well, is that raw speed is increasingly a compensation for the absence of other things. Yep. And we all grew up with, and you know, and marketing people in car businesses and the magazines, all stuff you've done, monkey. You know, what's not sixty time? What's not a hundred time? And less is more in that, and it's and it's always been that way. And will the new one feel faster? But that's increasingly compensating for the absence of. Does it feel like a performance car? And you know, we everyone knows that you know, even on track days now, track days are really, really busy. We'll talk about track days at some point. A lot of people go on track days. I remember when they started, Frankie, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, they were for ordinary people with ordinary road cars. Now they're not. They're increasingly where racing teams and racing people take their cars. Mm-hmm. So even just enjoying a normal road car, like a hot hatch or a golf GTI or an M3 or something. You're going to get buzzed and bewildered by people racing cars. So the modern performance car, ironically, has got to be more and more home uh, on the road. And if you can enjoy that once in a blue moon, but when you sort of, it's late at night and nobody's looking and you sort of squeeze the power a bit more than you should do, what's the point of it the rest of the time? So I think raw speed, raw speed is not that important. It feels good. It never doesn't feel good it always feels good but that's a fleeting and passing emotion and i'm you know i'm fortunate enough to have an alpine a110 and i i drove it up here today to bista and i loved it it just reminded me it weighs about 1070 kilos i got one of the pure ones it's four years old and i got it when they were first out and it's just a lovely thing it feels good it feels like a performance car as soon as it starts to move it doesn't have to be very fast got 248 horsepower that's plenty absolutely plenty any more than that you think i sort of getting out of its getting out of its comfort zone um and interestingly everybody here both in motorsport uk and just around the bista heritage site and those you've been here for the scrambles or the collecting cars it's a wonderful wonderful oasis for people who like us who are addicted to cars but the number of people came up today to say that's a nice car. I bet that's nice to drive. It's simple. It's light. It's not too fast. And a number of people have said, it's probably not too fast, is it? So I think raw speed is always going to feel good. But in the context of a modern performance car, lightness, how it feels, how it steers, the fact that it stops, 
those things are still enjoyable on the road. It's got to be. Otherwise, the idea of a performance car will just become an historic legacy and curiosity. So we're always going to be amazed by, have you seen how fast this new whatever it else is? But the enduring emotion will come from the other things that we love performance cars to do. So my my essay would conclude <laughs> with actually it's not that important to the modern performance car, although secretly we all still love it. And if we didn't have that opportunity, like the Taycan is just an amazing thing. It's just, well, how, how that feels. It's just, you've been launched on a rocket, but it's okay. not the same thing as a modern. Now, and now if you'd like to stand, we'll sing hymn number 243. <laughs> we plow the fields and scatter. <laughs> I've, I can, I know that one, it's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll um, do you know what, Neil Clifford? Can you take that argument and explode it, please? Be well, devil's advocate. Give me the counter argument. Come on. Aren't we just being old farts? <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. I know. This podcast does attract quite a number of old farts to listen to old farts, but I think it's as much about the data. When you're, when it's not about the reality of going two hundred and one miles an Top hour. Top trumps. It's about the top trumps element. It's about my car goes faster than yours. Yeah, I'm not, yeah I, I admit to that. I like that as well. Let him speak. Let him speak, Chris. He let you speak. No, I, I think. I think. <laughs> no, I was. I was just at this London concourse thing, and I, I hang out with all the sort of cool, much cooler dudes than me. The young, the young photographers, the young Instagram guys that are now. You know, they were 17 without a job five years ago, and they're not, they're all on hundred grand a year now, driving around in DBS Aston Martins like our good friend Freddie, who's a genius photographer. And hanging out with all that lot, A, keeps me young, but also you listen to how they talk, and they talk about the stats like we used to with top trumps. And they're like, oh, my God, well, that, you know, that new... The, the piece there is much faster than the 458 yeah. and the 458 is not very fast because none they... of them can bloody drive them though no but they, they no you're sounding like an old fart as well i am a, no i'm i'm being deliberately opposite I, I can be all part all parties in this argument i see it all you yeah. know I, I i don't really I've, I've only ever maxed speed one of my cars ever which was a 993 x x uh, 51 turbo on the way down to Le Mans, obviously there was a short piece of motorway that was was unrestricted. In Germany, yeah, yeah, yeah Germany. I went via Germany, it and hundred, it's like almost hundred eighty on the speedo, but it was probably hundred seventy five. Being chased by some lunatic in a TBR and a GT three Mark One, our um, yeah GT three nine nine six Gen two red, and I it was hideous. I thought I'm you know I'm going to try and really max out this car and be very macho. It was really not very good fun at all. It was horrible. It just goes too fucking fast, doesn't it? But I do love, <laughs> I do love the fact that it's a turbo and it does go faster than the normal nine nine three. So I think for most blokes who love facts, information, data, stats, yeah. we you know we're all that's we're, all of us. You know, we're all that, yeah. aren't we? It matters, you know. If that new DB twelve is it? Yeah, yeah. If that did 221 miles per hour, and by the way, well done to our friends at um, uh, the, what's his name, Gauntlet on on Instagram, that's just done 205 miles per hour today in the Bulldog. In the Bulldog, they did that, yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know, Manx Meyer and Gauntlet and the the guys there, amazing. You know, this car 40 years ago should have done 200. 
100 miles an hour, and they've just done it today in Scotland. I think it matters if the DB12 did 221 miles per hour, they'd sell more of them. It's, so I think um, it does matter, even though I don't like doing it myself. I think I think the question that Chris posed, the reason why I probably didn't want to bring it into the agenda was it sits at the very heart of my uh, professional insecurities because I vacillate hugely on this subject and I haven't, I've never resolved it. And I'll give you the scenario. I come off a mountain road in Wales. I'm in an Elise 1.8 Gen 1. I've got the aluminium brakes on the front. And I've got, I've just had the most lovely experience. I've used that supple ride, taking the bumps. I've got steering feel. I don't even need the fucking radio. I can't reach it. It's over there, but I don't care because I don't need it. I, I basically feel like I'm in Colin Chapman's bladder. I'm like, I'm basically a part of his body. You know, this is me. And, I, and I've read this. I've read everything from set right to Cropley to Gavin Green to Russell Bulgin. Uh, this, is the, this is the apex of my life. And I get to the bottom of the mountain, I get down to the bottom of Neath, head to the valley road, and I put my foot down, and I get fucking smoked by a 320D. <laughs> and, then I'm, and then I'm really angry. So uh, this is the two, these are the two bits. This is the dichotomy of my car enthusiasm. Yep. I want to be the former, and I, I, but I want to be immune to the feelings of, of just being just emasculated by the latter experience. Because I think the part of the inner car nerd car addict that we all want to deny is that at the traffic lights we want to have the weapon of choice yeah. you want to know you can smoke the bugger next to you i even at my most relaxed i could be there but i'm still thinking oh, yeah definitely. i want i want to i wish i was in my 911 turbo now because i want to take care of that csl and that <laughs> that is that's real life top trumps and I think yes. that's the bit I can't deny because I, I, like Chris, I buy into the purity. I buy into the interaction. I'm much more interested in how a car makes me feel than what it can actually do empirically. But I can't deny that last bit. That's, yeah, that's I know, me too. That's the boy racer, as the phrase will never go out of We're date. All 12. That's the boy racer. We are all and still 12. I know. And that's the, that's the bit that I, I really find difficult. So I've, I can't resolve it. And again, for me, the answer is the hybrid solution. You've got to have both in your shed. You need a Caterham 7, but you also need some. You need a R35 Skyline that's been to Litcho and has got 34,000 horsepower. <laughs> and if you put your foot down, time fucking goes backwards in Tewkesbury. You know, you need <laughs> you need one of those. So so it, for me, it's, it's a difficult one to resolve. I don't know. Edward, tell us what you think. You've driven some bloody fast stuff. Well, no, I, I think you've all, you've all summarised it very well. And, and Neil, you, you, I, there is... I don't think anyone of any of the car manufacturers are brave enough to go backwards no. to, for Ferrari to say, no, we're just going to do 500 brake horsepower now. And, you know, we, we, we don't, we don't need these top speeds. I think they, they are, they do chase these numbers probably because they're paying in, you know, marketing top trumps. They, they need to do it. But yeah. I, the, the, the one thing I don't like about, some of the brand new, very fast cars is that you have to go very fast in them to get the thrill out of using those cars. And McLaren are the worst of those. You know, if you want to, if you want to be thrilled by a Senna, you know, you are going to be breaking the law in an instant. And, and, and that, that is something I don't particularly enjoy. I, I like to work to get the best performance out of a car. Um, but yeah, frankly, the thrill of going fast is a thrill indeed. 
Yeah, we we talked we talked about it on the TT. It wouldn't look as fun if their average lap was 35 miles an hour, would it? (laughs) The only negative for me to sound like an old fart is that cars don't sound as good as they used to. I don't really mind if they're not as fast or they're faster. Who cares? 488 versus, well, frankly, 360 or 355. It is a shame that cars don't sound as good. That, that's right. Like Actually, I was thinking when you were t- talking earlier on about uh, Neil when you took over that a four five eight, you know, that really was a brilliant Ferrari. You know, it was dynamic, it was fast. That gearbox was incredible, but you didn't. It sounded brilliant. You didn't have to drive it fast. When yeah. I the first time yeah. I drove a four eight eight. But for me, and I, I think I was in the Cotswolds somewhere, it was everything about it was too quick. Um, the steering was too quick. All, all the inputs, I, 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 it felt like I was drunk and I didn't know what I was doing, but it just it just was too fast. What's your reference on that, Chris? Because you're famous as a Ferrari journalist. I think, uh, I, I don't think the 458 sounds great. I think it sounds a bit manufactured to me. I'm, 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 when you, your comment there about sound, sound is totally separate to volume and i think car makers for years mistook the two yeah. they just thought if it made them louder that we'd think they sound great you know you get in a db5 it's not a loud car but it sounds magnificent hmm. um when you get going and so the quality of noise is something quite separate to the volume of noise um but when it comes to cars like 458 488 i'm a bit i'm a bit cynical because of my day job i think I think sports cars stopped being able to deliver an awful lot at very low speed a long, long time before that. I think I think if you get in a 355, it's not really doing an awful lot until you get going. Then you've got to go back further. I think for me, the last generation of cars that really made me feel that they were that they were communicating with me at low speed was was probably pre-power steering. So I'd say the last the last cars would be something like G Series 911s, late 80s. I think into yeah. the 90s stuff was already becoming quite numb, if I'm honest with you. And and I and I've got used to that numbness. So I'm not I'm not too worried about that. To avoid the numbness, you've actually got to deliberately make a very brave choice to go for a car like a Caterham or a Lotus. But I think the one car that I wish I'd kept and I still had in my shed is a very basic Lotus Elise. I really do regret not having one. Just as just as a, a sort of a base, a base point of what it should be like. Yeah. Yeah. I really do regret not having one. In fact, after this, we should all go and look on. on yeah, isn't, there, isn't, there, isn't this sort of, you know, you, it is a little bit of a cry to freedom, though, isn't it? This conversation in the sense that we're living in quite a surveillance society, certainly on the roads with cameras, average speed um, devices. You go to Europe, it's much the same thing. And so, I mean, I'm in central London. It's 20 miles an hour everywhere. In a few places, it's 30 miles an hour, which switches to 20. You can find yourself on a motorway, which is very often restricted to 50 or 60 in a variable way, certainly 70 is upper limit of normal. And I do wonder whether what you're buying, if you buy a car with a label that says it goes very, very, very quickly, is this promise of freedom, but a promise of freedom and speed that actually you're very, very, very unlikely <clears throat> to attain or ever use. And, you know, it is and maybe that was why track days started to become more and more common. You know, 30 yeah. years ago, cameras start to appear, can't go quickly on the road. You buy this Canon, and unless you're trying to do that kind of Luca Montezemolo versus Volkswagen Golf GTI for 300 yards at a traffic light, you know, where where do you use 
any of this. I, I have actually driven um, one of the early 458s with paddle shift. And um, and I got driven in one too. And um, I, mean, I drove it. I drove it just outside London, on uh, quite a straight bit of motorway and uh, a little bit of a country road that came off it. But I actually got driven around Yas Marina by um, Felipe Massa in in a four five eight. And the two experiences. I mean, I'm obviously not Massa. But the two experiences were completely different. Yeah. <laughs> and 70 miles an hour in kind of third gear and flipping up to fourth on a bit of M1. It was one experience. But doing 165, I think he, he got it to 170 before the, the breaking point at the end of the main straight. It was just it was a completely different experience. When you know when he blipped, you know, it felt like I was being kicked in the back. And for yeah. him, of course, this was all slow motion, because this is what. 25 seconds slower than he does it in a Formula One car, whatever it was. But it, it was an amazing back-to-back. -back. I mean, there weren't, you know, the experience wasn't exactly back-to-back. -back. There were several months apart. But the experience in the same car, one driven by me on a road, two, same car, driven by Felipe Massa on a track. It's a completely different experience. And he, 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 amazing guy, amazing driver, but really genuinely amazing experience. I think I'm going to conclude that one by saying we all agree broadly on that. Um, and I'm, I will drop in one last note. There's a very obvious solution to this conundrum. It's called the motorcycle. It yeah. makes you feel completely alive. And it's very, very, it's very, very basic. And it's all about feel. And when you get to the traffic lights, you can still smoke anything. Mm -hmm. So maybe the motorcycle is the answer to that one. Moving on. <laughs> A little bit of F1 chat, but a race at the weekend, which yep. I thought was, if I was issuing an out of 10 mark and it was a weekly test for English pre-GCSE, I'd give that six and a half out of 10. No more than that for me. I think a lot of people have been more generous about it. I thought some of the overtaking was a little bit DRS-y. I thought the bloke at the front ran away with it. The midfield, the overtaking sort of petered out. I got the sense that it, people sort of lost interest in the race after a fashion. Is that a fair summary, Chris Cooper? Um, mostly, yeah. Um, I mean, on the end of the week, Mercedes looked a bit slow and looked a lot better Sunday. But I was speaking to people in the paddock today, and they said, yeah, that's because everybody else dropped the ball. Aston was slow, Ferrari didn't manage. You'll have views on Ferrari, I'm sure. So there was one takeaway I had from it, which I just thought sort of summed up for one team and one in particular one driver sort of how did I end up here so there's a quote I read I'm just going to read it out and this driver was interviewed after the race and said the pace was as expected today which was bad I don't think I was expecting anything else from our performance really and when this driver was asked about the possibility of whether they might have had points the driver said probably not no because we're slow we have been all year there's nothing else to say Lando Lando Norris, exactly. Ooh. And I was Who qualified again, third. And I was talking to somebody today at a dinner last night and said, How is how is that gonna survive? So some of you noticed it's in been the press. Uh, I think quite extraordinarily, McLaren have hired Rob Marshall from Red Bull. He was sort of he and Dan Fallows with Adrian, sort of the there's a couple of other very, very impressive guys, but Rob's been there 17 years, head of engineering, car design. 
Uh, my mate John, I've talked about, worked for, for Rob for a long time and had nothing but absolute sort of awe and praise for him. So maybe, okay. maybe eventually Rob Marshall and the other getting, and you know, there's hardly anybody left to pinch from Red Bull now, Adrian Newey's side. But that for me summed up, well, where is McLaren at and what does Lando think? Yeah, not great, not great. Uh, Neil, did you watch it or not? I did watch it. I did. Well, I have to watch it now. Otherwise, I, you know, I've got to try and attempt to be slightly intelligent on this bloody podcast, haven't I? So I've got to, I've got to watch it. I do watch it because my my son is is uh, is massively into it. I suppose what are Mercedes better than we thought? You know, maybe if you're Lewis now, you're like, oh, maybe I don't go to Ferrari. This could be a bit of a, yeah. this could be a bit of a cock up for me now, which is a sort of shame slightly because I like the intrigue of him suddenly going to Ferrari next year. But I suppose good for Mercedes. Ferrari, I'm just depressed about. Manish, we'll leave that one to you, I think. But it's such a shame. But we, we, We're going to do our two-car garage for Ferrari F1 at some point, aren't we? How to <laughs> control, alt, delete, the whole bloody thing. Um, and I suppose you garage, have to just yeah. say Max is fantastic. You know, I know we, well, I say he's hard to like. But frankly, you can't not admire the fact that he is outstandingly good. Yeah. You know, it's probably like what it, people felt like about Lewis. And we've just got the other end of the stick and he's really bloody good. Yeah. Yeah. What, what can you say to that? Manish, give us, um, give us, first of all, get your Kleenex ready. Finish whatever you were sculling there. Look like he's drinking a nice single mould. Uh, and tell us how <laughs> you feel about, tell us how you feel about the Scuderia. Because in some respects, this was even more depressing than the last couple of races. Oh, it's just, it all feels so baked in. And I think that's why I feel so depressed. It There's something about the kind of cut and thrust of Formula One, the ruthlessness of it, the I'll pinch you and I've got your driver and we're going to try this. And what you were talking about last week, you know, Colin Chapman pretending it's a diff and not ground effect and Ferrari believing it for weeks and then finally working out. There's just something that feels very baked in about this formula. It's hard to see how things are going to shift massively until 2026 and we have these great big rule changes. And I think that's why we were all dreaming maybe Lewis will go to mm -hmm. Ferrari because that's just suddenly not baked in anymore there's suddenly something new happening and wonderful and it, maybe it will change everything and in fact frankly if Lewis was coming eighth in a Ferrari every week I think we'd all be really happy you know <laughs> it would just be you know that's as fast as that Ferrari could possibly go you know in anybody else's hands other other maybe than than Max's now I think just seeing Leclerc be kind of booted out in Q1, hearing the commentary saying, why aren't Ferrari going out now? Why aren't they going out now? Why aren't they getting a back? Why are they doing something completely different? It was just all very, very hard. And I mean, the only teeny point of controversy in the race, you know, did George Russell make up 37 places by missing that corner at the beginning? Oh. And did that, you know, did that, is it, that's what we're talking about, you know? And Max, getting three track limits warnings, mm. you know, really exciting stuff, this. It, yeah. I mean, it's getting harder and harder, isn't it, as the weeks go on. As we, we have a, we have, I will drop a name, we have a, a very sort of important McLaren engineer's son. He works with us, you know, he's, um, he's working with us on a couple of 
Formula One projects that we're hoping to make. And um, he came in on uh, Monday morning. I said, do you watch a race? He said, of course I watch a race. And I said, what did you think of it? You know, I heard there were 100 overtaking manoeuvres. And he said, but there were no fights. Yeah. And I think that was it. Actually, do you know what? There were a couple, but the race, uh, the TV director missed them. Sonoda and Zhu were going yes. over with songs. That was pretty good. Yeah. But you're right. They were DRS. Yeah. They were DRS overtakes. They weren't fights. Good phrase, that. Well, if you had, if you just could you imagine a basking? Sorry, Neil, I was just gonna say, could you imagine a basketball match where um, it's only two players? So you've got your hoop at either end, you've got two players, and what you're allowed to do is as I come to go and pass Mr. Clifford, I'm 5'8, Neil 6'4. As I come to pass Neil Clifford, what I do is I've got a zap gun and I press the zap gun, and Neil freezes in his position. And then what I do is I just go round him and the skill is now, all I can do is just drop the ball in the hoop. Then Neil gets the ball and he comes at me and he presses his zap gun and I freeze. And he just throws the ball in the hoop. And then when we get to the end of it, they say, but they scored a hundred times. <laughs> and everyone just goes, I didn't see him get past little manish. And I didn't see get little manish get past big me. I just didn't see it. Kind of feels like that a little bit. I was reading an article in Motorsport because obviously now we all have to try to be more intelligent about our knowledge. And it was basically saying it's all about the tyres and who can handle those tyres, particularly on, I'm really out of my comfort zone now, but the, the Spanish circuit is a very fast circuit, very hard on tyres. Therefore, Max just demonstrated his ability to really handle the tyres so much better than everyone else. I'm not sure whether that's true, but certainly if you're Checo, you're like, oh, fuck, I look a bit of an idiot here. Yeah. It's a Max. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of Barcelona as a circuit to race on. I thought they did a, I thought taking the chicane away was going to be worse than it was. Um, but I didn't really, you know, the last two corners, they were driving through at massive speed, but I didn't really get the sense of seeing the speed on the TV. No, no. They're probably the fastest three corners in Europe now. I wasn't really getting the sense of it. Ferrari are just all over the place. And bless him, I think Carlos Sainz, he comes across as a really lovely man. But he but he uttered one of a phrase that will come back to haunt him forever when he says over the radio, I have pace to spare. And two laps later, Lewis just drives straight past him. Yeah, that wasn't his greatest just moment. Thinking, here we go. I, yeah, I, I fear for the rest of the season. I'm really glad that Mercedes have found some pace. Mm. Yeah, that's good, team. isn't it? I, I suspect that Red Bull are sandbagging in terms of upgrades. Red Bull have probably thought we should have bought upgrades two races ago, but we didn't need to. So we'll just bring, we'll just wait right. and wait and wait until they get close to us. Then they'll just move away again. That's all they'll do. It's all but it's all being a bit stage managed. And, and Neil makes a wonderful point, I think, about tires. I mean, it's what everyone talks about from beginning to end. All they talk about. But, but you know what? That twas twas ever thus. It is a tire formula. Don't get me wrong. Bridgestone versus Michelin. Just because yeah. they didn't talk about them so much, it's interesting. When there's a tire war going on, you're not as incentivized to talk about your tires because you mm. might upset your tire supplier. Yeah. Um, but it's always been a tire form. Motorsport's always been about tires, you know, but they just, they're a bit more open whinging about it now. And let's face so it. The, the point I was making was more the kind of that, that big Monica point that they're, um, the difference between their ultimate times and the times that they actually do in races, that that's such a big delta now. Yes, that's, and Monica was the worst of it, seven seconds slower. It, it, you're right, it's about tires, but it's about 
I, you know, I, in the end, why did the Mercedes suddenly switch on? Bradley Lord, I think, dropped a little key. He said, well, it's very hot today. Yeah. And that didn't make me think it was an aero issue. Suddenly, I think the Mercedes tire switched on. Bang. And it was gone. Yeah. What's the next race? Canada. 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 Yeah. Who won his first race? In fact, his only race in Canada. John Alessi. Good knowledge, team. Good knowledge. Yep. Now, um, here we go. We're going to move to our two-car garage. You're going to have to play <laughs> with me here because this has been set by Manish. And if people think... It I'm, wasn't set by me. It wasn't set by Manish. No, How it dare you? It was Neil. clever Jason. <laughs> oh, was it Jason? Your friend Jason? Yeah, Ed's friend too. Clever... Clever Jason is his name in my phone. Is it, what, what, uh, it just what, what was going? Was he drunk when he sent that? <laughs> no, no, no. I just think he's more intelligent than all of us, and therefore has got two brains. Have but... I met Jason? Um, probably. No, no. You would have. We, I think he came to our dinner, um, one of our dinners in Soho. Okay, mega. Right here we go. Sorry about that, clever, Jason. I didn't mean to Jason. take your. Didn't mean to take your, your glory away from you, Jason. Right. Uh, do you? By, by the way, Neil, do you know what his two cars are for this? Yes. Fine. Well, you have to tell us those at the end. Okay. Oh, this we'll... is. I'm sure this is going to cause some consternation because none of us are ever quite sure in which decade we're supposed to be spending the money, whether it's adjusted <laughs> for inflation or whether Chris Cooper is going to obey any of the fucking rules at all. <laughs> no, no. You, you so, watch so the space. Just, let's just see where this goes. All right. Deep breath. You are Marty McFly. And you've just arrived in 2015 from 1985 in your time-travelling DeLorean with girlfriend Jessica Parker. You're surprised to find that only has Jessica totally changed appearance in transit, actress Claudia Wells being replaced by Elizabeth Shue, but there are no flying cars. You need to save your family, uh, requiring a, fitting, a fittingly cool four-seater, but have a bit of leisure time on the side to cruise around California with Jessica and also fancy a two-seater convertible. Yeah, this isn't embellished at all, is it? Okay, being a time traveller, you invested in some stocks on your trip back to 1955 that have paid off handsomely, making you a multi-millionaire in 1985. Unfortunately, since then, with the tech boom, they've gone to shit, but you still have $150,000 to spend. You can buy new or used, but critically, having learned your lesson from Back to the Future Part 1, you can't risk any chance of a breakdown. Um, I, think, I think this podcast has properly jumped the shark. Uh, <laughs> Manish, get on with it. Oh, God. Um, <clears throat> so I thought... Doc had turned a DeLorean into a time machine by using electricity. Masses. Remember, he said, it's like 70 gigawatts, Marty, and you've got to do whatever, 69 miles an hour past the clocks. I thought in 2015, Marty would buy an electric car. Ooh. I thought he would just have to do it. Mm. Something that's a little bit reliable, a little bit Californian. So I decided he would spend the vast majority of his money on a Tesla Model S, but the P85D. Now, I found out that these things, at the time, they cost $105,000. Wow. Jesus in, Christ. And, but, but you got a, two subsidies, one for $6,000 and one for $4,000. I can't remember what these rebates were. So basically, it, um, the, the price comes tumbling down to $95,000 for your plastic Tesla. Now, I could see Marty McFly in this car. Um, 
What I didn't know about this car was I knew there was a trunk at the front because obviously there's no engine. But did you know they call them frunks? Yeah, yes. front's trunk. I have no idea. Front I had no engine. idea. Yeah. I had seen the back trunk, which has got the kind of trap door that you can put your mother-in-law in. And it's a phrase, a phrase coined by the Germans, because which car from Stuttgart's always had a frunk? Oh, you're kidding. That yes, is they stole phenomenal. it from Porsche. Honk. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I think it's great. It's It's got that 17-inch iPad, so he can actually just watch Back to the Future <laughs> on that while he's cruising up and down his kind of Californian highways. But it, it was the it was the it was the performance figures that actually just made my jaw drop. Six hundred ninety one brake horsepower, naught to sixty in three point one seconds, and a cap speed at one hundred and fifty five miles an hour. All wheel drive, self parking. I mean, it's got to be the car, hasn't it? I mean, you can yeah. see. Marty and that, and Doc having a look at that and being just well, unbelievably well, wild by Brown, And most importantly, Einstein would be very happy in there. So that was the first one. Now, the second one, I, does anyone remember the film American Gigolo? Yes. Yeah. Do you remember how that started? It just started with sort of like pawn shot after pawn shot of that black Mercedes 450SL with um what was julian's surname i can never remember what his surname was the richard gear character it's a one of kane it's a bobby kane kane his, he said je m'appelle julian kane so we've got our american jiggle i would buy a 420 sl though the r107 i think it's just an incredible car beautiful engine i think you could pick one up for about fifty-five thousand dollars back then um not that powerful, V8, 220 horses. Um, I probably would, if I was driving in California, get the automatic. I know you'll hate me for that, but it's They're just... automatic, really. I, don't think automatic. Automatic. Oh, I thought you could get a five... Can't you get a five-speed for that? There yeah, are, five there speed, are, there are yeah, five-speed, 300, six-cylinder. There yeah. are some ah. 107s manual, very rare. Yeah, okay, yeah. so that, it, it would be that, but I would get black with black leather. I'd get them to rip the back seat out. It would have, it would have uh, a black roof. And um, and that would be it. I'd be going around saying Je m'appelle Julian Kane. And remember who did the music? Giorgio Moroder. That's he wrote right. the opening yeah. to Ah, oh, it's such a good opening. And in fact, okay. the opening montage, if you watch, he pulls up outside a very expensive clothing store. He goes in and he's with a suspiciously older woman. And you're wondering, what is a guy like that? And he's checking himself out in various clothes. And then you see her writing the check. Lots and lots of little hints about what he does for a living in that. Maybe it's just emancipation. You just don't know, man. It's, you're so judgmental. Yeah. 1980. Um, right. right. Uh, Neil Clifford, who probably has spent upwards of 19 hours. No, I haven't, actually. I, I, actually, my, my sports car genuinely is the same as what Jason suggested. I mean, I'm spending all my money on the sports car. Bollocks to the family car. LA is all about all fur coat and no knickers. It doesn't matter what your real life is like. It's what you portray yourself in Los Angeles that matters. So I'm buying the most leggiest BMW Z8 yeah. that I can find in Los Angeles. It's got 100,000 miles on the clock. It's that It's that lovely, um, what was it? It was, it was, I can't remember the name of the blue actually. Topaz blue. Topaz, you're bloody right. Topaz with cream. Um, Probably $130,000 you could pick one up in 2015 before they went mad. Loads of miles on the clock, but it won't break down. Super pretty. I just saw a, 
a lovely 507 at the old concourse here in London. What a gorgeous looking car, big VA, M5 engine, manual, fantastic dash. You can X, really- X Hugh Grant, few stains on the seats. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. You know, start off at the Hollywood Bowl, when the sun's when you're dark, drive the whole of the uh, Mulholland Drive, end up for coffee mornings in bloody Malibu, fantastic. And then I'd have like ten grand left, and I'm going to go and buy, frankly, something Japanese, depressingly, because that's the only thing that won't break down. Honda Odyssey MPV, they're brilliant. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting an old Land Cruiser. Okay, old Land Cruiser, ten thousand dollars. They have loads of miles on the clock. It'll never break down. I'll get the same money for it, but I've got the Z8 and I can look cool. I love a Z8. I, I missed the boat there. Do you know what? The Autocar couldn't get a Z8 from BMW to do the road test for Autocar magazine, so we borrowed one from the Lovett family. Do you remember that? That was the, that. That is the road test car. We borrowed it from the Lovett family. Um, on that note, Edward, what are your two cars? Well, it says in the description of it... <laughs> <laughs> You need to save your family. What What's that bit about? Oh, because that's part of the... But they're on the run. That's the narrative of the films, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, well, Biff no, is just, after them. Biff so you don't, after So you don't need to buy an ambulance or become a doctor, but don't no, worry. No, fine. And I, I, whilst um, Manish said his then, I slightly got my years. I've got my car sorted out, but I all, all of a sudden went thought, actually, electric isn't a, a bad idea. And if we were doing it today... I think I'd have to be waiting to take delivery of a Cybertruck, the Tesla Cybertruck. But it clearly says 2015. So yes, I know. I, which I've got, I did read it and I've got it written down. And because it said save your family, I needed something slightly utilitarian and obviously American. So I bought a Ford Raptor. Yeah. Um, I, oh, I did good. find some of, some of my investments in the tech went to shit. But luckily, I bought $500 worth of Berkshire Hathaway stock for $16 uh, a share in 1955 and i've just found i've just found out i still have them so uh, i've sold those and that's given me 3.2 million dollars in return that's that's quite a good return um so i bought a ford raptor and i've sent it to john hennessy to turn it into a velociraptor six by six Because I think I can save my family with that. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah. What about your sports car? And and obviously, you know, Martin McFly. I don't think they wouldn't buy, you know, a European car. You know, this, you know, this is he, he's an American icon. And because he went back to 1950s or 1955, he caught a glimpse when he went into the stockbroker to buy his shares of a Corvette C1. Oh, yeah, and that's the car he needs to drive it's going to be blue it's going to have white wall tires on it and it's going to have the little white side strikes on both uh, both sides and that's going to be his cruiser for the velociraptor and a c1 corvette i think it's the most schizophrenic car toys we've had i think they're good it's quite a schizophrenic question then it is is saving your family and cruising around california it is it is but there we go um now let's go for uh chris cooper's please interesting film Back to the Future, made by uh, Robert Zemeckis, who also did um, Forrest Gump. Uh, and there are parables and threads in both of those films, which create symmetry for what we talked about today, actually right at the start of this, in terms of a TT, which is about grabbing the opportunity and ambition and seizing the moment. So 
And Zemeckis was quite big on that. And this kind of the threads of the first film, which was sort of America at an interesting point of inflection in the mid 80s and how Reagan was going to take the country forward. And you can draw that thread all the way back to FDR and his New Deal post immediately pre-war. And that um, ex extraordinary uh, statement that they were there in the late uh, early 30s elections Republicans had, which was a chicken in every oven, a car in every backyard. And you can draw that thread all the way through the, to Back to the Future. But the, the symmetry here is that aspiration and that ambition to want to do better. And that's what the Back to the Future film is all about. That's why I think it's so interesting. So I think if they arrived in 2015, they would want to continue that line and be aspirational and think about reliability. And probably having come from 1985 um, US when US cars ter weren't terribly reliable or wonderful, I think they go for two German cars. And my inspiration came from them. Actually, again, my boys said, because they're always sending me links to what's on collecting cars about to sell <laughs> or hasn't been or has been sold. I said to them, you're talking to the worst person who never can buy anything because I always get outbid on collecting cars. But there were two cars. I think you have a 2015, fresh from the shop, CLS 63 wagon. That's mm. a really nice, cool car that would protect your family from any villain or biff or otherwise. But then I Some, think he would suddenly go... It looks cool again, that. It does look cool. And it always looks cool. And one of them, actually a 2017 model, sold on collecting cars on Sunday evening. And I thought I nearly had to give it a tickle, but I kind of was driving back from Zandvoort, so I kind of missed the opportunity. That is the most seamless, lovely plug I've ever heard, Chris Cooper. You are a professional man. Lovely I've given this touch. some thought. I give lovely thought. touch. And the second car, the sports car, I would go back to the future. I would go back and bring it to the future. I would have a 1985, I think you can have a 1985, 3.2 Carrera Sport Cabrio. And one of those sold on collecting cars on Sunday evening, about 40 grand. But I think, again, I missed it. It looked like a lovely thing. And I think you'd have enough money. So I think sort of Richard Tuttle's business in 2015 would have been a suitable location to send his 3-2 Sport Carrera to have some lovely Tuttle bits put on it for the total of $150,000. So I think the parable of grasping the moment, thinking about aspiration, I think if you arrived as Marty and family in 2015, I think those are the two cars you'd have. Very good answer. I'll argue with that. I think you've all, you've delivered us some great cars here, but I'm, I'm going to take this a bit more literally because I, I pretty much guarantee I've watched the Back to Future films a lot more times than you have. Um, I, I'm an obsessive, particularly with the motor vehicles on the films. Um, and I can't, I can't arrive in 2015 within the world of Back to the Future and, and not acknowledge the cars that were on the film in 2015. So it's quite obvious that my family car has to be a Citroen DS because they chose the DS to be the futuristic taxi of the 2015, which was a car made and designed in the 50s in France. I still think it's one of the most bizarre things ever happened in a film franchise. I want to acknowledge that. It's got to be reliable. So this DS has gone off and had everything done to it. It's a minter. It's so good. It's a later palace 70s car it's stunning it's got the it's got the really boring dashboard the slightly ugly bumpers but it's got those plush seats the thicker seats that you just sink into and they give you a big hug now 
I could have gone for a 1946 Ford Coupe because I wanted to remind myself of defeating Biff Tannen back in 1955. But I, but it just struck me that that wouldn't be the easiest way to travel around. So I'm going to go a little bit obtuse. There is a convertible in 2015 in Back to the Future 2. Um, it's a BMW 635 CSI that's red that the young Biff drives. It's had its roof cut off. It is a 635 underneath if you look at it up close. So for me, it's a one-off 635 nice. CSI Ooh. convertible from the set of Back to the Future 2. They're the greatest films. They really are. So glad we got asked that. Thank you so very wait, much. So Marty is going to drive Biff's car in yes. 2015. He is, because he arrives there. It's a new reality. <laughs> the great thing about Back to the Future is there are two realities. In this reality, he's defeated him, and the young Biff isn't there anymore. Neil, what was uh, lovely Jason's choice? He he was Z8. Yeah. Was he? And he was in the new Jeep Wrangler. Well, in 2015. So he went yeah. Z Jeep Wrangler, but then he went leggy, leggy Z8. Okay. Right, we're now going to move on to um some music let me just let someone in quickly please come in please come in we've got another <laughs> two minutes to go right um now's our music selection uh, i'm going to start this week uh, and i'm going to let you know that one of there's very few downsides to spending a week in the sunshine on a motorcycle one is that you miss listening to music in your track on your travels i don't listen to i don't have earbuds in when i ride a bike because i feel quite disconnected from the machine i've tried it in the past but it doesn't quite work also when you put a crash helmet on if one of them moves a bit and you get a pressure really point, uncomfortable. it's really bad for the next <laughs> couple of hours. So I've really missed music. And I got back in the car yesterday to wobble up to uh, to Oxford to collect a new M2. And that's another thing we'll talk about next week. Um, and, and I just was so thrilled to be able to get back into some music. So I wanted to go a little bit um, topical. And I noticed that Astrid Gilberto, the woman that sang the vocal for the girl for Ipanema, she died today. So I wanted to think about oh, that. We should acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, uh, but I then I got in some big albums, some big thought-provoking albums. And I've, everything I've listed here has been lightweight. So I went through loads of bits and bobs. And I have to say, for me, Flaming Lips, uh, Yoshimi Battles, The Big Pink Robots, part one of the song. I think that might be the greatest album ever written. I, I think it's complicated. I think it's bizarre. I think when you understand the meaning of what the Pink Robots are, it's just an astonishing piece of work. So yeah, Yoshimi, go and listen to it. And I, it's just so uplifting for me. It's a gorgeous piece of music. Wonderful. Who's going next? So I couldn't walk <laughs> past Back to the Future. <laughs> no, that's true. And uh, it's really tempting to say Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry because I just, you know, the when Marty starts playing it and just goes completely wild in the first film, that's just amazing. But and maybe because it's a rite of passage because, you know, we were all young, very young when the first film came out. But Huey Lewis, The Power of Love, is such a booming, busting anthem. So, yeah, I'd like to see on the playlist Huey Lewis, The Power of Love. Maybe. Mm. Mm. Uh, no Clifford I'm going Blur I thought I'd round up my sort of 90s Britpop I think um, I think even though Modern Life is rubbish their first album was amazing I think what a, a brilliant second album in Park Life it was probably the best album cover the two greyhounds 
Um, and for me, the best song on the album and the best song of Blur is Tracy Jacks because it it talks about the pressures of everyday life, actually. And the the the, the it's a bit of Reginald Perrin, actually, of, of a guy just sort of like losing it completely, trying to hold it all together, doesn't hold it all together. Um, and the, the lyrics, I'd love to stay here and be normal, but it was always so overrated. <laughs> you know, it's deep. It's fantastic. He's, you know, Damon Alban is a bit sort of bit of a 90s Paul Weller, really. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant lyrics. So British. You couldn't get more British than than Blur in, in, in those lyrics. So really good. That's the, that's my choice. Anish? You're doing Maroda. Brought him up once already. And I... I was thinking about it, ended up going down my Giorgio Moroder wormhole. And um, it's the opening titles to Midnight Express. It's called yeah. Chase. Yeah. Ooh, and you listen song. to that in a car, it'll blow your head off. And there's an extended version. And what I didn't know, but perhaps should have known, was that it won the Oscar for Best, best. best Soundtrack. Yeah. In And you know who played one of the synthesizers on it? Harold Faltermeyer. Oh, Did he? 1978. Wow, young Harold Faltermeyer. Just unbelievable. So yeah, yeah Midnight Express, Chase. Scary movie as well. Very scary, scary movie. movie. Very scary movie. Um, Edward, are you going to give some music this week or have we decided you don't like music this week? Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I haven't had any chance to listen to it. I've been on holiday with my children and uh, been looking after them. But I Super Tramp is what I'm going with this Ooh. week. And the logical song. Oh, it's a yeah. great song. <laughs> Brilliant. It's a great song. Brilliant. The 70s was so underrated, really, in music terms, yeah. weren't they, really? And what a great album cover that is. Yeah, that album cover. Yeah. Um, right, that brings this to a close. That's quite a long one. Sorry about that. That's a bit of an ordeal for all of you. Go and get some fresh air. Uh, and I apologise <laughs> on behalf of Manish, Chris, Neil, Edward and myself for wasting yet another hour and 40 minutes of your time. Uh, join us again next week when we might discuss the BMW 2 We might talk about Fifth Wheel Caravans. We might talk about a car that Neil's tried to start that has failed to start. Um, until next week, have a lovely weekend. See you later. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Undaria Algae Body Oil and Undaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.